It's already hot, so I'm ditching the sport coat. Um, just sorry <laughs> for the informality or whatever. Um, so this is a very famous parable. And the challenge for things that already feel familiar is that uh, familiarity can breed unfamiliarity. In other words, the more you think you know about something, the more it can surprise you. Or maybe the the less you remember or something like that. Details get fuzzy. Uh, Now, first off, we have to talk about parables because parables were not invented by Jesus and they were used in all kinds of ways, especially within the Jewish tradition um, and especially in and around the time of Jesus. Uh, The word parable can refer to all kinds of different things, anywhere anywhere from like stories like Jesus told, um, or at least tells in this case, to like what we might call proverbs or aphorisms or something like that. Uh, So when we enter into a parable, we have to be aware that, that the genre might be a little more fuzzy than we think. Now, at some point along the way, probably when I was in Sunday school growing up or something like that, I remember coming across the definition of a parable that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or something like that. Maybe, I I would guess I'm not the only person who has heard that before. And that's, um, that's right sometimes, but it's a little too quick. It doesn't, it doesn't capture the richness of a parable. For example, there are parables that Jesus tells that are earthly stories. They're about things happening here, and, and he uses ideas and images that his audience would know, just like today's parable. But the, the, the meaning or in the intent is actually distinct distinctly earthly, if you could say that as well. Like, he, he's addressing issues that are happening in that moment or the ways that people interact with each other or something like that. It's not a, it's not a, there's no heavenly meaning unless you get really loose with that definition. Parables also can be notoriously difficult. Um, off the top of my head, there are two parables that Jesus tells that are uh, that that after two thousand years of history and interpretation and study, we're still not sure what he means. Um, I picked one of those parables, the parable in Luke nineteen, uh, as the topic of my thesis when I was doing my THM, and it was hilarious because while I think. I mean, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I got it right, but I think I moved the ball a a decent amount towards understanding. But when I defended that thesis, I got a sense pretty quick that the committee didn't necessarily buy it entirely, but they didn't have any better options, (laughs) so they passed me. Um, And there is at least some thought and you can kind of see it in this moment, and, and actually the lectionary reading cuts out a middle section 
which they should not have, and I register my complaint with the lectionary committee, whoever they are, um, because it, it, it obscures some things, uh, or, or it doesn't explain why Jesus tells parables, because Jesus, it seems, tells parables sometimes just to be obscure. And there's some thought there that the reason is that he could go to a village tell a parable that has potentially an inflammatory meaning. In other words, it's going to raise the hackles of people. And then he can get out of town, and then three days later, when people are thinking about what he's saying, they can go, wait a minute. Where is that? Oh, he's gone. Oh, he's safe. Um, I think there's some credibility to that, because... There are times when Jesus is a little more clear, like in Luke 4, and the people get angry and they try to throw him off a cliff. So Jesus tells this parable. Sower, sowing seed. This is uh, an agrarian society. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, an image that pretty much everybody is going to know. Like I could tell a story or a parable or whatever about... Um, I don't know, a, a beautiful rainbow and everyone's staring at their phones and so they miss it. Like, every, we, we all know what that, what that means. Uh, or we at least understand the imagery used. Now, parables are sometimes funny. Um, they sometimes have twists. Uh, for a long time, scholars used, would think and argue that parables have only one meaning. Uh, thankfully, that, that, uh, that idea is dying a fairly quick death because I don't think that's the case. That's not the case in this parable either. A sower sows the seeds. Uh, within writing that we have from the world of Jesus, within his Jewish context, uh, God like God, capital G, God, is described as sometimes sowing the seeds of his people. And they bear the fruit of Torah, or following God's commandments. It seems like Jesus is tapping into that a little bit. Which suggests that one of the main foci, focuses, of this parable is actually on the sower. Because as Christians, as modern-day followers of Jesus, uh, we will naturally jump to looking at the different kinds of soil, right? And that, that's kind of where I go. That's where most of us goes. Um, and, and I think we go there because it preaches really well. There are immediate and obvious um, uh, applications to our lives. But Jesus doesn't start there. Now, a sower sowing seed... I think that's the third or fourth time I've said that. Um, seed's expensive. And if you are working land, you would potentially have to buy your seed if the previous harvest didn't go quite as well as you had hoped, and so you weren't able to preserve as much seed as you had hoped. So the sower sowing seed, and it's landing on the path, it's landing on soil that's obviously bad because there's a bunch of rocks in it. Yeah, okay, it lands in some good soil, and then it, it lands in soil that's 
prone to weeds. That's either funny or tragic. I can't tell. Because why would somebody do that? The, the soil in, in the world of Jesus was not, not dissimilar to the soil here in New Mexico, or at least in Albuquerque. Our soil is not that great. It doesn't have a ton of organic matter. I, I think the pH is off a little bit, depending on where you are. Um, it doesn't necessarily always drain all that well. That's why we have a bunch of wadis. It, um, it needs a lot of work. And I'm thinking of my own backyard. There are places where it's like really rocky. And if I took a bunch of seed and I just threw it, there's like a patch this big in my backyard that's probably decent and the rest of it's terrible. Um, what a waste. You wouldn't do that. Um, unless you realize that this is a parable. It's not meant to be gardening instructions. And I, and I think the first focus here is on the sower who, rather than being wasteful, is actually being really generous. In the section that is missing from our lectionary reading, <clears throat> Jesus relates the nature of parables, and, and you start to get a sense that what Jesus is doing in talking about, or in giving this parable of the sower, is he is describing what he is doing in that moment. He is traveling around, and he is... Casting seed, sowing the word, explaining to everybody what God is doing in that moment, that God is moving, he has come to rescue his people. The time of exile because of your sins is over. The Messiah has come. And Jesus is not only just doing that with his words, he's doing that with his actions and curiously enough, and this gets him in trouble, is that he doesn't really draw a distinction between who is helped and who is not helped. In other words, he goes and offers this grace or this presence of God to everybody, and he doesn't say, well, you're good soil, so I'm going to spend some time with you, you're pretty rocky, you're definitely thorny, and on the path I'm not even going to waste my time. Jesus goes to everybody. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to do things if I know my time is going to be wasted. I don't like to spend money if I know that it's just going to go nowhere. I don't want to invest my time, energy, resources, talent, whatever, if it's not going to yield fruit. And the problem is that then I become kind of the judge of who is worthy or what is worthy and what is not. Now, there's a sense in which, yeah, we only have a certain amount of resources and energy, um, so we do kind of have to pick and choose. But the image that we get of God is one that's lavish, one that's infinitely generous, and, and isn't interested in terms of helping only those he deems worthy. which might get you thinking. 
And then we get to the soils. Obviously, different kinds of soils are going to react in different ways. Um, our knee-jerk reaction is probably to jump to, well, which kind of soil am I? We've been kind of conditioned to that. And, and again, it's probably because it's so obviously applicable. And we'll get there in a minute. But parables, most of the time, are not about the future. Uh, Jesus tells parables most of the time to explain what he is doing in that moment. So the, the different parables, like the parables of the ten maidens, who, you know, five, they, there's five of them have enough oil and, and five of them don't, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come, and five miss them because they're go tr going to try to buy oil. And so, at least I remember growing up being told, so you want to be the ones who prepared and have extra oil. Nonsense. Jesus is talking about, in that moment, people missing his coming. In the same way, Jesus is talking about what he is doing in that moment, and he is explaining that certain people are going to buy into his agenda and others won't. Or think about it this way. Uh, Jesus, in uh, the book of Luke 15, Jesus got... Um, got yelled at by the religious elite because he was partying with the wrong people. And then he starts telling parables. A woman had a coin that was very valuable and she lost it. And she searched everywhere and when she found it, she celebrated. Jesus isn't telling a parable about the future. He's explaining what he's doing. That he's, he's partying with the wrong sorts of people because the word of God has come to them. So, with Jesus, reactions, shall we say, are mixed. There is a core group of people that gave their lives because they were followers of Jesus. There's a whole bunch of other people that actually killed Jesus. In the reality, as Jesus goes about his career, the reactions are mixed. And Jesus explains that over time those mixed reactions are going to set his people, God's people, the people of Israel, on a collision course with destruction. But there are some who remain faithful to Jesus. And big things happen because of that. Now, Jesus' disciples don't necessarily understand, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they don't get the parable, which I, um, I appreciate. Because how many of us would have gotten that too? And so Jesus explains to his disciples, the disciples obviously being good soil. The good soil is the good soil. These are the, the people who receive this announcement that God is acting, that God has sent his son Jesus. He is the, the chosen one, the holy one of God. And over time, in that soil... Through the grace of God, they produce good things. And there are others that get really excited 
This is the rocky soil. And they shoot up, but they don't have a base. They don't have any roots. And so they just wither. And then there's the, the thorny soil that they, they get excited, but then they get distracted by either their own anxieties and the anxieties of the world around them or the lures that the world has to offer and then they, they get choked out. Then there's the path where they just have no base, like there's nothing for the seed to take root and then the evil one snatches them away. Um, we could talk for a very long time on the differences of all of those. I'm very interested in the, the, the thorny one. Because it makes a lot of sense. Jesus explains to his disciples that the, the, the thorns, the, the, the weeds growing up, um, represent the people who take root. They buy into what Jesus is selling. And yet a combination of fear and anxiety or just temptation and distraction pull them away. Um, our climate here in Albuquerque is, I think, more similar to Israel than not. Uh, oddly enough, our climate is most uh, similar here to, what was it, Kabul, Afghanistan. Go figure. Um, look it up. It's very interesting. And uh, I don't know about you, but one thing that I discovered when I moved here like a year ago is that the weeds here are made of something else. They, they don't play around. I have committed acts that probably violate the Geneva Convention in chemical warfare, and they just laugh at me. Um, it's really irritating. And especially if there's some rain, please, God, send some rain. It's too hot. Um, Man, they just sprout up all over the place. And you can imagine, because it's not like they had pesticides back then, or at least very effective ones, um, trying to grow something good that produces something valuable, and then all these other weeds popping up and just consuming and aggressively like consuming all the resources that the ones you want to grow, and so they don't, they don't do anything. Um... This isn't a comment about which soil we are, because I'm going to answer that in a minute. But that makes sense. On the one hand, there are many things that can distract us. And Jesus specifically names anxiety and fear, um, the cares of this world. Um, there are a lot of things to be anxious about. And fear has a tendency to do terrible things to the people who have it and hold on to it. It can turn us against each other. It can divide us in very dangerous ways. Fear can actually hijack your brain to the point where you can't even think rationally. And you end up getting, becoming so focused on those particular things 
that you fail to see the forest for the trees. The bigger picture doesn't exist because fear has a tendency to narrow your vision down. There are all kinds of different ways that this happens in our own day. Um, Again, staring down the barrel of an election season, and please don't hear this as a partisan statement, I'm just going to predict, even though I don't like to predict things, uh, that this election season is going to be a circus. It doesn't matter which side is your preferred side. It's going to be a circus. Um, And it's going to be a circus, I think, in part because, again, both sides have become more dangerously interested in stoking fear. Each side is going to try to convince you that if you don't vote for them, it's going to be the end of America. Um, That's not to say that it's bad opinion or to pick a particular side. But each side is going to use exactly that thorny message that will choke everything out until you get to a point where that's the only thing you can see. And as one particularly interesting Old Testament scholar put it, if you cannot imagine what is going to happen to either yourself, your safety, your community, or the country or the world, if the person you really want to be president doesn't get elected, then what you have a problem with is your faith. Because Jesus is king, all else is secondary. But it's easy to get focused in on that. There are plenty of, of other things to worry about. Um, um, our, 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 our world is full of anxiety. But fear and anxiety are, are ultimately a lie. And it can capture us. On the other side, it's, uh, Jesus talks about the, the deceitfulness of riches. And, and I think you can expand that out a little bit because, um, yeah, on the one hand, being wealthy is, it's alluring. Having money to be able to say, I'm going to go do whatever I want, that's a nice idea. But I think it's more than just that. Because the, the, the deceitfulness part, the lie at the core of wealth is that if you have enough of me, then you will be okay. And we as human beings are really, really good at telling ourselves, if I have enough of this, then I will be okay. If I ha- and, and some of these are really good things. If I have enough uh, of a cohesive, loving family, that I will be okay. Now, that's a good thing. Like, do that. Have that. But don't kid yourself that that's going to answer all your problems. Or if I have enough of a a, a skill set, or if I have enough uh, clout in my community, if I have enough goodwill from my community, these are good things. If I have enough education, If I have enough money, of course. If everyone thinks that my family looks like it is functional and happy, even though when the door is shut, 
then everything is actually chaos and it's terrible, then I will be okay. If I have enough of appearances, then I'll be okay. Pick your poison, literally. Both of those things at their core have this lie that says if I can have enough of this, if I can control the outcomes of these things, then I will be okay. And all of that is ignoring the fact that Jesus is king and all else is secondary, regardless of what happens. Now, I'm willing to bet most of us, at some point during these last, I don't know, 10 or so minutes, have said, ouch. (laughs) Because we are factories for this kind of stuff. But at no point have I said that this is your soil. Because Jesus described those different spiritual traps and those different kinds of soils as a direct reference to the people he was interacting with. You, those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus and you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and therefore the gift of faith, have had your soil made good. That's the ultimate gift of the announcement of what God is doing in Jesus. God has planted that seed of faith sometimes and maybe often in spite of ourselves. God has taken responsibility for growing the tree or the plant or whatever analogy you want to make to produce that fruit. That's the point of Jesus' death. Jesus' death, his blood spilling on the ground is like the best kind of fertilizer. Spiritually speaking, don't bleed on your plants, please. And then there is also this reality that there are certain things in our lives that we can that that we bring to ourselves or pour into ourselves or are attracted to that can be poisoned that can be spiritually toxic. It doesn't change the nature of your plant because it's God's plant. But there's always a risk. And so part of living this uh, life of of, uh, discipleship, the life of following Jesus, isn't to say, I don't want my soil to turn rancid, I don't want to lose this plant of faith that God has planted, because that's not how it works. And at the same time, there are certain things that will help, and there, there are certain things that will hurt. And so the parable of the sower is twofold. One, God is generous, and God sows regardless. That is a level of generosity that I am not capable of, and I'm guessing most of us aren't here either. And God has sown that seed in your hearts. And then there's a warning. Be careful. There are many things that are trying to infect you, infect our soil. The path of discipleship is learning how to root those out. 
but it doesn't change who we are because we belong to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate gardener. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able.